Stella made a beat, so it's go time. guys to another edition of the core four podcast the core four podcast is a podcast under sb nation's grizzly bear blues podcast network alongside gbb live you can find them on spotify google Podcasts, apple podcast stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast grizzly bear blues is a blog under sb nation find them on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on twitter at sp and grizzlies I am your host, Parker Fleming, and I am joined today by the newly promoted senior staff writer and the host of the 3 and D podcast, which is now on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. Please join me in welcoming Sean Coleman. Sean, what's up? Hey, Parker, how are you doing tonight, bud? <laughs> Pretty good, man. It's it's been a fun day with GBB, man. Just all these new hires, these promotions. It's been a lot of fun. It, it, it's amazing. Just it, it, it simply is, um, you know, going from what we cover to, you know, just over the past three or four months, just seeing how much I went back and looked last year when I joined a year ago. I think that GBB had, you know, 2000 less followers then than it does now. It's a big compliment to, to, to the work of you and those who have been here for a while, obviously Joe Molinax, but it's been a great day. It's been it's been a lot of fun seeing all the reaction and, you know, just a lot of people's days made. Mm-hmm. And when this goes on the air, we'll have the 10th anniversary of Grizzly Bear Blues. So everybody's going to get to read a bunch of throwback posts and just some great content over the years. And it's really cool to just see how this blog has grown. I completely agree. I, I think that, um, you know, I I read Grizzly Bear Blues for, for quite a few years before I joined, you know, uh, other sports teams that I cheer for. I read their SB Nation, you know, um, um, post before I joined. And, you know, it's, it's not just the the following of Grizzly Bear Blues, but but the content and, and the, um, you know, just the different features that you can get when you just advance with getting different minds, you know, in the fold, it, it leads to great things. And, you know, obviously I think that, you know, the current um, – um, Evolution of Grizzly Bear Blues may be the best out there yet. Yeah, it's it's a blast, man. I'm really looking forward to this year. And so, speaking of this year, this Grizzlies team, it's they're not going to be the best. They're not going to be that good or a playoff team, but they're going to be a lot of fun. And where there might be a lot of fun is defensively, highlighted by Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark, two of the most highly regarded defenders coming into the past few drafts and the Grizzlies have both of them. So that's really cool. And I know that's something you wanted to talk about, Sean. So give us your thoughts on the Memphis Grizzlies on the defensive end, because this may not be the same old grit and grind that we're used to, but it can evolve into something beautiful. 
The idea behind grit and grind was a defensive focus. And from that, um, you know, mustering enough offense to, to really make a difference. You know, it was it, the defense was great and it was the physicality of our defense. You know, Tony Allen, you know, just hounding people, uh, Zach and Mark down low. And, you know, Mike Conley, a very underrated defender, a byproduct of that defense was the, the, the turnovers. Um, you know, the Grizzlies took care of the ball, but they also were able to create turnovers. So the turnover differential was really where the Grizzlies were truly elite. Um, This defense is not going to be the same. And that actually is a good thing compared to the modern NBA. You know, the, the, the grit and grind defense, it was going to be as good as the players' primes that were there. Just because the style of defense was perfect for those players, but once they aged, that probably was going to as well. And we obviously saw that over the past few years. But you are correct. Um, you know, I know that there have been several people who have mentioned that the possible combination of Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. is, is just phenomenal. And the reason why is simple. It's the athletic and ability to effectively use their length. Down low, blocking shots. Uh, Peter Edmondson, several folks talked about Brandon Clark's play in the summer league, how there was only efficient movement that he used. There wasn't a lot of wasted movement. If you have both of them on the court, one can defend the rim, the other can extend out to really make a difference. But Another thing that you can add to that element is is other players working off of them. And so you know, I'll get into that in just a second. But as far as Clark and um, Jaron Jackson Jr. go, it, it's just the ability to really be able to cover that lane, but also redirect shots, redirect passes. I mean, when you've got one of them blocking the rim and you've got another who can be able to go out on the, on the perimeter and deflect shots and passes, you can get a lot of good opportunities for fast break points. And that, Parker, is where you can find a lot of these highlight plays that a lot of people feel the Grizzlies can pull off this year. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned that as far as getting in the passing lanes, getting on the break. That's where the Grizzlies can really thrive because, obviously, you said Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark can be elite defenders. And at least right now, they're still going to be pretty damn good, even though they're super young big men. And I also like Bruno Caboclo, Kyle Anderson, DeAnthony Melton. Maybe even Josh Jackson, if he's if he's panning out, those are four guys right there. Jay Crowder, that's five five guys can get in the passing lanes, and then when you got a fast point guard like John Morant looking to make highlight real passes, as well as Tyus Jones, who's been one of the most steady back backup point guards in recent years, the Grizzlies can have a very surprising offense, especially defense turning into offense. If you look at two man combinations, you know, out there, um, the Grizzlies have some of the best two man combinations in the NBA. Uh, For any two man combination that played 700 minutes or more together last year, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Kyle Anderson had the lowest, had the best um, d- defensive rating. Um, you know, defensive, it's a, they, they were at 97, I believe, out of about 100 possessions. They had the best defensive rating in the league. Josh Jackson, in, in, on that same metric, 700 minutes or more, he had he was part of three of the four best pairings in um, uh, Phoenix. We know Jay Crowder can play defense, and I think that's what it is. You know, again, while you could have Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark extend out if the other's guarding the rim, say they're not on the floor together. You could still have one of them guarding the rim, and either Crowder, Bruno Caboclo, 
or Kyle Anderson either using their length or their smarts to be able to be a distraction, to be, you know, a, a definite disruption out there on the perimeter. You know, I think, Parker, you may have seen the uh, video uh, that was um, uploaded by NBA Brazil of Bruno Caboclo's top 10 defensive plays. This guy's not just sitting here blocking shots of the end of the bench, guys. We saw him match up straight with. Paul George block a jump shot. We saw him block a dunk by LaMarcus Aldridge. We saw him come from behind uh, to get uh, um, uh, Boogie Cousins on a dunk attempt. There's a lot of versatility, as you wrote about, on the defensive side. And I really think that the length of the Grizzlies, if Taylor Jenkins and his staff can use it effectively, we really could steal some wins this year by playing good, effective defense and then counterpunching on offense through the fast break opportunities. Absolutely. And Bruno Caboclo is a guy that really catches my eye in that regard because I think he has the tools to be a five position defender because he's mobile. Even at six, nine, he's playing a lot of the three, but I think he can stretch across positions one through five as far as defending players. I mean, could you imagine him guarding a bigger point guard and still like having a size advantage or switching out of the pick and roll? Or just straight up guarding the better of the three and four. Let's say he's sharing the court with someone like Dylan Brooks at the three and the four. He can guard, you know, maybe it's a night where they're playing crap. Well, I really think of this very quickly, but you get what I'm saying. He can guard the better of the combo forwards. And the thing is, is he going to have the motor? That's all it is with me. Is is he going to have the motor to defend at a high level every night? I don't know if it's if it's I don't want to call it an effort thing with Bruno Caboclo. I just I think that they're he may have a bit of Jeff Green in his game. Like it's just his version of giving his effort just does not seem like it at times. It does seem like he's disengaged at times. But a team that you were talking about, a team with bigger point guards, say you've got Philadelphia playing the Grizzlies and you've got Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons running ball screens or some type of um, exchange um, handoffs on the perimeter. Bruno Caboclo could take both those guys on. He really could, especially, yeah, especially with Ben Simmons not having a, a jump or uh, any type of jump shot. Um, he could take him on, and if, if Ben Simmons gets past him, he can defend it. Um, it ben, he can come from behind to defend Ben Simmons. So I agree. The advantage I wrote a little bit about Kyle Anderson and Bruno Caboclo last year. They're both big. They're both long. The difference between them, Bruno Caboclo has so much fluidity with his body. He's not necessarily fast, but there's just smooth movement with his body. Um, Kyle Anderson's a little bit more more robotic. Hopefully that opens up with his surgery that occurred, but he's more of a um, mental you know, aspect to it. But you get the same result, that, per, that perimeter length. But I do think you've hit the head. Bruno Caboclo could be a very good 3 and D type player. I know that you uh, brought up the comparison of, uh, of Robert Covington uh, potentially last year. Mm-hmm, I did. I did. At least like a poor man's version of him, just in the fact that he's willing to gun it from three, and that's where he's going to get a lot of his points. But he can also be a very versatile defender. It may not be five, like I said, but it can be pretty dang close to five. Agreed. And and the other thing that you know comes to mind is that you know you bring up Jay. There's five guys there who really could you know uh, prosper on, on the defensive end: Crowder, um, Anderson, Caboclo, Clark, and Jaron Jackson Jr. So you've got other guys that that you, that you hopefully. Well, through those five guys playing good defense, you don't really want to sit here and already put the the other guys on the court. You don't want to like hide them or, or minimize their exposure. But John ja Morant, Dylan Brooks, um, Tyus Jones, the thing about those guys, either 
limited athleticism or size, you know, you may not have as effective of an opportunity when it comes to defense. And I think the way that teams may attack us, if those other five guys we've mentioned are having good defensive games, is off-ball movement. I, I think that teams could have success if they got Brooks and Morant over in a corner and there was some off-ball movement there. That's how I th- think teams could potentially, you know, be effective against us for guys getting open for shots. But then you have to think to yourself, if that's the case, all you've got to do is put Clark or Jackson on the other side, and then they'll still be able to disrupt. So, like you it's versatility, and it's the ability to cover, you know, the entire arc and the lane at the same time where I really think the Grizzlies can thrive. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And one person you had mentioned before the show – that has this versatility to be a huge asset defensively, as we saw last year, was Kyle Anderson. And so everybody kind of writes him off right now. Well, for one, because of his surgery. But two, he's not much of a three. He should be playing the four, but it's kind of weird now because they have Jay Crowder and Brandon Clark, who should be getting minutes at the four as well. I was actually in the process of writing an, a post to go the next day about Kyle Anderson becoming the backup point guard, and then they signed Tyus Jones. So it's one of those things like, where does Kyle Anderson fit? And I think you really got a solution for it. Yeah, it, I mean, we I talk with Kyle Anderson, basically the way that it is, to me, you can effectively use him at like Philly does Ben Simmons, except for the fact that you don't, I mean, he's not as good as Ben Simmons. He's not going to have the same movement potential, like driving to the basket and things such as that. But he could be, I called it an access point last year with him and Mark. If you can get him the ball on offense where he's, even if it's stationary, you can then take advantage of John Morant's athleticism off the ball, perhaps Jay Crowder as well. But if you can get some movement going where Kyle Anderson is the one with the ball, he's going to make smart decisions and he'll be able to get guys going into the lane or through us doing our own off-ball screens, get guys in place to make to get good looks at twos, maybe even threes, you know, if we figure out who our three-point threat's going to be. But the other thing about Kyle Anderson that I think that is not highlighted enough, his baseline game is very, very good. And that's where he's reminiscent of Tony Allen, in my opinion. Parker, you remember Tony Allen on offense. There were so many times he would be on the baseline and would make a big play on the rim on the rebound or getting a steal or something like that. Kyle Anderson got a lot of offensive rebound putbacks last year. He got a lot mm-hmm. of good looks close to the basket due to his ability to intelligently, um, you know, um, patrol the baseline. I think especially with John Morant's vision, when Kyle Anderson doesn't have the ball, he would be able to be found by John Morant for good looks underneath the basket. So I think that a chemistry between John Morant and Kyle Anderson when they're on the court together could really be a featured asset of our offense, you know, especially early in the games that they're going to be starting with each other. Absolutely. I honestly really like using Kyle Anderson in the short role because he's a very good playmaker. And you've seen mainly with the Warriors and Draymond Green where they've had success in the short role. And we've also seen when Budenholzer's offense where they really thrive with ball movement and drive and kick, a good dribble drive offense. And I think putting Kyle Anderson in the short role just opens up so many opportunities because he can hit Valance Yunus, Jaron Jackson, or Brandon Clark for easy opportunities at the rim. He can look out to Jay Crowder, Dylan Brooks, 
I mean, I don't, the rest of the ring wing rotations kind of eh, right now. I mean, maybe Grayson Allen develops into a 35%, three, 35, 40% three point shooter that we thought he was going to be after Duke. Maybe DeAnthony Melton's a better shooter. Maybe Josh Jackson has improved his shooting as he has over the past two seasons. But I feel like it just opens up so many possibilities for the Grizzlies offense. And that's the thing about it is that I think the Grizzlies have done a really good job. Uh, Amari Sankofa on um, uh, Twitter, he mentioned something that I had focused on, um, you know, a few times in the podcast when I was talking with Justin Lewis on 3D, a 48-minute approach. And, you know, I wrote about it in my um, point guard piece, my, uh, my point guard piece that I did for Grizzly Bear Blues. I think that's what the Grizzlies are going for. They want to be able to have efficiency and effectiveness for 48 minutes. And so you've got similar players off the bench that are there that, that that mimic games similarly to players that'll be starting. You know, Jay Crowder and Bruno Caboclo, they are similar type players. John Morant and Tyus um, Jones, their ability to, you know, um, pass and, and, and be good facilitators for the offense. Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson, those defensive athletic defensive anchors. I think that that is another strength of this team in that, you know, besides playing through their defense, they'll be able to present that disruption, that energy. Um, they'll be able to feature their youth and their athleticism all 48 minutes of the game. And if the Grizzlies can find success through those 20 minutes or so, between the first and second and the third and fourth quarter uh, where the the benches are playing each other, I really think that they could stay in some games more than people might give them credit for right now. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And one question I want to ask you, because I feel like we're really sleeping on this, is are we sleeping on Tyus Jones as a defender? I'm looking at cleaning the glass right now, and he was in the the 91st percentile in steal percentage. He also... Had a positive defensive win shares. Um, I mean, they're going to look at playing Tyus Jones and John Morant together. And I don't think that's going to be as bad as people think it's going to be. I think that people are more looking at... If they want to look at the negatives, and I can understand it, they want to look at the – in isolation. I think that John Morant and Tyus Jones, if they are isolated on some of the bigger point guards in the league, yeah, they're going to be at a disadvantage. But if John Morant and Tyus Jones can develop chemistry, if Tyus Jones in any way, shape, or form can be a weapon on defense by creating turnovers, his value as a backup point guard, he'll instantly be one of the best point guards in the league because his efficiency is through the roof. Peter Edmonston talked about his turnover-to-assist ratio, how it was historic last year, assist-to-turnover ratio, how it was historic last year. You add in the ability to where now he's creating turnovers and leading fast breaks, again, going back to that 48-minute point, the green Grizzlies could truly have one of the best fast break attacks in the league. And it's kind of like soccer. You know, so you see some of the best teams are good because they can counterattack. They play defense all game long, but then they counterattack and they're able to score a goal or two to win a game. With the Grizzlies, they can find those extra eight to 10 points each game to close the gap and at the end be able to seal a few games because of the efficiency of their point guard. So I do think you bring up a good point about Tyus Jones. If he can come become a consistent source of steals, maybe one to two a game, that really could make a difference um, You know, in the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Do you know what kind of vibes Jay, uh, John Morant and Tyus Jones give me? What's that? Gives me a lot of like Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Fleet, Fred Van Fleet vibes. 
I could see it. You know, two smaller point guards that they work very well together. And then you have Van Fleet, who's that bulldog backup point guard, who's just going to be a hound defensively. And I see that with Tyus Jones. I mean, I think it's possible. No, it makes some sense. And 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 I'm hoping that Taylor Jenkins, you know, looks at that. I, I'm, you know, a, a, another player that, um, you know, I, I really feel like I really would, again, it goes back to Bruno Caboclo. I feel like that these are the type of players, Tyus Jones and Bruno Caboclo, those are the guys that Taylor Jenkins probably really is going to focus on because those are two guys that can really see their role increase. But right now the difference between, in your point, Fred Van Fleet and Kyle Lowry and John Morant and Tyus Jones. Yes, Jones and Morant can hit the threes. They can hit the outside shots, but can they consistently do it? For me, one of the biggest things for both of those point guards to be able to develop is not only their three-point game, but when they go into the lane, either being able to hit the floater, which made Mike Conley so deadly in the lane, or the mid-range jumper. I think that those parts of their games are going to be just as important to their development as being able to hit threes. If they could develop that this year in some way, shape, or form consistently, I could see them becoming a Kyle Lavery and Fred Fred Van Fleet. Don't you think that the mid-range game for John Morant is probably one of the more critical parts of his game for him to develop early in his career? I think it's definitely the pull-up three game. I mean, we've seen it with all the great point guards, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, even Isaiah Thomas when he was healthy, and Mike Conley as well. If you can hit the pull-up three, especially out of the pick, like out of a high pick and roll, you're going to be pretty damn good. Pair that with his athleticism, his ability to finish at the rim, as well as his passing, and you got a perennial all-star on your hands. So I think the pull-up three is more important right now as far as John Moran's development, but at some point he's going to have to get that in-between game as well. And I think that I think that one thing that may people may be, you know, kind of like you said, sleeping on, John Morant's got the range. The guy can shoot the three. I think that he has got very good range. His release is a little slow right now. He definitely does have to have time to be able to do it. But like you said, the pull-up three, if he can get confidence in his shot, I do think that that's going to make a lot of sense. But, I mean, we want to sit here and immediately say that he's going to be kind of like Damian Lillard, um, you know, amongst other you know players. I, I really do think John Morant has the ability to develop. But the other thing about him being able to um, develop that outside game is that since he's in the NBA going against bigger athletic players, he's not going to have to live at the rim as much. And I think it also limits his injury potential. So I agree a pull-up three probably is – just as important, if not more important, you know, than the mid-range games. Mm-hmm. And Sean, one last question before we head out, mainly harping on the defense, is who is one player we're sleeping on defensively? I think you hit the, the nail on the head, the, 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 um, the Anthony Melton. Um, I really do think that he – actually, and I'm going to cheat here. I'll give you two. I think DeAnthony Melton is someone that definitely could with his length. And the guy is a smart player. I think that he could be someone that really could in that second unit be able to lock down the other team's bench producer in the backcourt that could, again, help our bench 
really make a difference. And the, and so DeAnthony Melton, I think, has a lot of perimeter potential. And if he could ever create steals, he's got the facilitation ability to also be able to lead the fast break. But the guy I think that we're sleeping on is Jonas Valanciunas. I really do think that. And the reason why that is is because of this. If Jonas is going to play 25 to 30 minutes, and if most of his minutes are going to be with either Brandon Clark or Jaron Jackson Jr. at the power forward position, what this does is their length, their mobility, their their, their ability to cover so much area, especially with Kyle Anderson and you know Bruno Caboclo, you've got two guys on the court at any time that can cover a lot of area. That lets Jonas Valanciunas focus on the post alone. He doesn't have to be up there and be exposed by the um, the screen game or the or the perimeter game. He can stay low, and if he can stay low and protect the rim, I think that's an undervalued part of Jonas Valanciunas' game. He's got very good block numbers. Um, he he does not foul that much. He can stay in the game, um, you know, to where he's not fouling out. Um, like a lot of people, like Jaron Jackson. But I think that Jonas could remain that rim protector and, again, just add another feature to the defense that's going to make it so hard for teams to find a solution. Typically on switching, you want to start getting the ball inside to add a wrinkle to where you know the defense won't be able to focus on that switching at all times. But if teams get that ball down low – Jonas, I think, could really make his presence known as well. So all in all, in the starting lineup, I think Jonas is a guy we're sleeping on. I think he could be a good rim protector. And on the bench, I do think that Anthony Melton can lock down some of the uh, other bench combo guards in the league. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I really do agree with you on Jonas Valanciunas because everybody thinks just because he's an old school traditional big man that he's not that great defensively and that he'll get run off the floor in the playoffs. But – I mean, I've, like you said, his block numbers are better than people think, as well as his playoff production as well. In his last season with Toronto in the playoffs, he averaged 14.6 points, 10.5 rebounds, and 1.5 blocks in, almost tw- in about 24 minutes a night. So, I mean, I still think he's a very valuable piece to this Grizzlies team, especially when accelerating this rebuild and making the playoffs quicker than people expect. Parker, I've got one question for you in terms of seeing over the maybe not this year, but next year. But you talked about how um, you wrote a wonderful piece over at GBB talking about how Valanciunas and Clark and Jackson Jr. can coexist. I really think that it depends on the situation. But do you feel that as time goes on and Clark develops his game, do you feel like the end of the game lineup for the Grizzlies will feature Clark and Jackson Jr. more often? Do you think it'll feature Valanciunas and Jackson Jr., or do you think it probably depends on whether we have the lead or not in the game? I think it all depends on matchup. I mean, if you're playing a team like the Los Angeles Lakers that has Anthony Davis and Boogie Cousins, you might need to go with like Jaron Jackson Jr. and Jonas Valanciunas just because Jaron Jackson Jr. is a big body that can handle a guy like Boogie Cousins, or if you're playing a Jokic or a Yusuf Nurkic or the, one of those burly big men, I think you might want to roll with Jonas Valanciunas. I think it's just matchup-based. I mean, it also depends on who has the hot hand. If Jonas is having one of those nights where he has 20 and 15 and you're in the game, can you really take him out of the game? Fair point. Fair point. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And Sean, I really want to thank you for joining on this week's edition of the Core Four. I'm really looking forward to all the work you do as a senior staff writer 
and on the podcast network with the 3 and D podcasts. So Sean, tell us where to find your work, what accounts to follow. Just let it all fly. Oh yeah. Well, and, and I appreciate the, the kind words. And uh, like I say, I love being able to work with you as much as possible. It just, it's always a pleasure to do that. Um, you can find me on Twitter at stats SAC. Um, I, I really enjoy the statistical approach on things, trying to strengthen that part of my writing as, as time goes on. Uh, but um, you can find me there at stats SAC. You can find our podcast three and D pod um, on Twitter. I definitely want to give a shout out to a friend of yours, Parker, a friend of mine and my co-host, um, Justin Lewis, underscore Timberfake underscore. Um, he, he, he's been busy with his job over the summer, but uh, he's getting some free time to where he'll be able to, to, to be with me regularly. So just a lot of good things going on. And again, like I said, you know, big shout out and thank you to Joe Molinax for, for making all of this happen. Uh, but yeah, just me at Stats SAC at 3ND Pod. And again, you know, also follow um, at uh, Justin Lewis at J underscore Timberfake underscore. That's where y'all can find us. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And you can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Big news. I'm the new associate editor for Grizzly Bear Blues. Looking forward to all the great content and exciting stuff that's going to happen with GBB. I mean, as we said earlier in the show, it just seems like we just always just try to take it up a notch. And really, thanks to Joe Mullinax for that. He sets an example and he works his ass off and everyone follows suit. And so I'm also going to be a co-host on GBB Live. So be sure to turn, tune in on the podcast network, either on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow SBN Grizzlies and follow the Core 4 Podcast at, at the Core 4 Podcast with the number four, not the word four. And with that, we'll see you later. 